Hey guys, it's Ellie. Welcome to Minute Mysteries. You're in the right place. So, if you've never been here before, first of all, welcome to the podcast. I hope you guys stick around. If you've never listened to one of these episodes before, let me just explain kind of what's going to be going on. So I have this book that's full of what are called Minute Mysteries. They're essentially logic puzzles that give you scenarios that kind of test your deductive thinking skills, and they're really fun to do. So, in these episodes, I just read three of them, and I try and figure out a solution, and once I have a solution, or once I run out of ideas, then we read the solution together, and we can laugh together about how much we failed, because these are very difficult sometimes, so... (laughs) Anyways, we'll see how that goes. So, with no more waffle, let's jump right in. Behind Time Professor Fortney, on his way to investigate a case of blackmail, was musing on the perversity of human nature when a jar threw him into the aisle as the train came to a sudden stop. Jumping off, he rushed ahead of the engine, where he found a small crowd gathered about the mutilated body of a man hit by the train. He was identified by a card in his pocket as John Nelson, an important figure in railroad labor circles. How did it happen? inquired Fortney. Well, replied Morton, the engineer, I was running 12 minutes late when I hit him. There were several miles of straightaway along here, and I was beating it along at 60 miles, trying to make up time. Didn't see him till we were about 10 yards away, right on top of him. I jammed the brakes, of course, but it was too late. Did you leave on New York time? Yes, sir. 1.30 exactly. Why were you running late? We were held in a block for about 15 minutes outside of New Haven. What was your fireman doing when you hit this man? Stoking the boiler. You say it was just a few seconds after 4.10 when you hit him? Demanded the professor. That's right, agreed Morton. Do you know this man, by any chance? Yes, slightly. He was an officer in my union, replied the engineer with a worried look. Well, said Forney, I don't know your object in telling such a story, or how you hoped to get away with it. You won't. What justified Forney in recommending Morton's arrest? So, we need to eke out how this man isn't necessarily a murderer, but how he lied in his story that he told Fortney. So, the way that I generally do these is that I kind of summarize what I just read, and it kind of helps me get an idea of, like, the clues, and helps me, like, connect things in my brain. So, that's what we're gonna do. Let's see. So, Fortney is on a train, and he feels a jar, and then he jumps off the train to kind of see what stopped the train, and he finds this man with a small crowd around him, and he's mutilated because he was hit by a train, obviously, that was going at least 60 miles an hour. At least. And also, it's a train, so it doesn't stop as fast as a car would. But he was identified as John Nelson, who was an important figure in railroad labor circles, and as we hear later, he was an officer in the engineer's union. He is important in railroad labor circles, but that could also make him a target, so you never know. So, next, according to Morton, he was running 12 minutes late, so there was a lot of straightaway, and he was trying to go fast to make up that time, and apparently he didn't see him until they were like 10 yards away. He jammed on the brake, but it was too late. Let's see, he left at 1.30, which is just on time, and he was running late because they were held in a block for about 15 minutes outside of New Haven. They were held up in the middle of their trip, so the train kind of had to go fast to get back. So, one thing that I think is really strange is that according to Morton, he didn't see the man until he was just a few yards in front of him, which is, like, really weird. Because, again, if you think back to what Morton said, he was on a straightaway. Because, remember, he was running late, so he was going fast on these few miles of straightaway to make up time. So how could he have seen this man just a few yards ahead of him if he was on a straightaway and supposedly he could see for, like, 
however long the straightaway was. Like, he should have been able to see for miles ahead of him, at least one mile ahead of him, right? Like, you would think that you'd be able to see a man on a straightaway. Like, yeah, if, if he was around a bend, obviously, you wouldn't be able to see him so quickly. But, like, he was on a straightaway. He should have been able to see him. So, I think that's my solution. I think that he should have been able to see him because he was on a straightaway. And his story where he says he didn't see him until he was right on top of him is a lie. So... Yeah, anyways, I'm confident enough in that that I'm going to read the solution and find out if I was right or not. <laughs> the engineer said that he had not seen Nelson until he was practically on top of him. That, of course, is impossible. An engineer of a train running on a straightaway can see nothing as close as 10 yards in front of him. So, does that count? <laughs> because the solution says that he should not have been able to see him because he was so close. Because, like, as the engineer of a train, he would have been really high up, and there would be a lot of, like, train under him, and he wouldn't have been able to see so close. But I think that my solution kind of is the same principle. Like, he was on a straightaway, you know, he wouldn't have seen it, or he would have seen it. Ugh. I think I'm gonna give myself a half a point for that one, because, like, I got the principle, but, like, the exact thing that was wrong, I didn't quite get right. So, yeah, I think that's good enough for me. <laughs> Anyways, let's move on to the second one, shall we? A Broken Engagement Peculiar, murmured Fordney, as he examined the desk on which lay seven letters ready for mailing, three gray, one lavender, two pink, and one lemon-colored. As he idly shaped the wax of the candle standing on the desk, he continued to ponder this unusual choice of color and stationery. One of the letters was addressed to Dot Dalton, who had been murdered between 11.40 and 11.50. She was one of the guests at this house party in the Adirondacks. All the letters were closed with back sealing wax stamped with the letter F. At midnight, Fordney began his questioning. "'What time did you retire?' he asked Molly Fleming, in whose bedroom he was seated. "'About ten, she replied. "'Was your door locked?' "'Yes.' "'Hear any disturbance?' "'No, I was tired, fell asleep almost immediately, and didn't awaken until you knocked on my door a few minutes ago and told me of the tragedy.' "'Why did you write to Dot?' "'I didn't see her last night and knew she intended leaving early this morning.' Jack Fahey broke our engagement yesterday and told me he was going to marry Dot. My letter was to tell her just how despicable I thought she was in luring him away from me. He didn't love her, of course, I'm sorry she's dead, but a lot of wives will feel safer. Why the various colors of stationery? inquired the professor. Oh, I always write in a color that seems to reflect the personality of my correspondent. I see, said Fordney. But unless you have a better alibi, you'll be held under serious suspicion. Why was the professor practically certain Molly was involved in this horrible murder? Great question. Let's find out. <laughs> so obviously she has the motive, right? We just read that her fiancé, Jack Fahey, just broke her engagement with him to marry her friend, Dot, who she wrote the letter to. So that is a pretty good motive for the murder. So one important chunk of the story was focused on the colors of the letters. So there were seven, there were three gray, one lavender, two pink, and one lemon-colored. So it says that one of the letters was to be mailed to Dot Dalton, who is the person that um, took her man away from him. Um, but it doesn't say which color letter that is, so I'm not sure. So according to this lady, she writes the letters on stationery that quote-unquote reflects the color of their personality, of the person that she's sending it to. But again, like it doesn't say which color was the one that she gave to Dot Dalton. 
which is a great name, by the way. First of all, who goes by the nickname Dot? Like, I'm assuming it's a nickname because, like, who would name their child Dot? But, like, it's a strange nickname, but I kind of like it. <laughs> also, it's fun because it's like Dot Dalton, you know, it's like DD. It alliterates, which is always fun. One other thing that I noticed is that times are mentioned a lot. So, Dot Dalton was killed between 1140 and 1150, which is a very specific window. Usually we don't have a window that's that specific. And then Fordney began questioning at midnight, so he was assumedly at the same party that the murder happened in, which is kind of crazy, because that also doesn't usually happen. He's usually not on the scene basically as it happened, you know? So that means the, the corpse is pretty fresh. <laughs> so Dot Dalton had been murdered at a house party in the Adirondacks, which I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, but I don't really care. Uh, presumably Molly Fleming was there as well, because she is one of the people being questioned. But she also said that she went to bed at 10 p.m., which for a house party seems kind of really early. <laughs> but again, who knows? Maybe it's just her. But uh, yeah, anyways. Maybe that has something to do with it. Maybe it doesn't. But I just noticed that times were mentioned a lot. Why does it say that Molly Fleming knew that Dot Dalton was planning on leaving early that morning? When she was murdered at like 11.40 that night? What kept her in town? Am I think- am I- am I missing something? I think I'm missing something. <laughs> oh man, this is a difficult one. I don't know, man. I don't know. I think all these suspicions that I have are that Molly had a great motive, but I don't see any actual proof. I'm sure there is proof, but I don't know what it is, so... Let's read the solution and find out, because I don't know. Molly said that she had retired at 10 after locking her door and had not awakened until Fordney had aroused her. Yet a few minutes after Dot had been murdered, the professor idly shaped the wax of the candle on her desk. This would have been impossible had not the candle been burning within a few minutes before he entered. That is a great point. <laughs> I totally missed that. But like, yeah, I was thinking about like the times and like the colors of the envelopes, but I wouldn't even think about like the candle wax. Like, why was the candle burning if she had been asleep? Like, dude, that was, that was that's a clever one, dude. I, I like that one. So anyways, let's go on to the last one, shall we? Maybe we'll have better luck with this one. <laughs> the Holden Road Murder What a night, sighed Professor Fortney as he hung up the telephone receiver. Half an hour later, still grumbling, he splashed his way through the mud and rain to the door of 27 Holden Road. Removing his rubbers in the spotless vestibule, he stepped into a large, well-furnished living room, running the entire width of the house. Introducing himself and explaining he would question everyone later, he asked to be left alone. In the far corner of the room, he found a man lying on the floor, his throat cut. As he bent over, his attention was attracted to a dime lying about five feet from the head of the man. He picked it up, regarded it curiously, and with a thoughtful look, put it in his pocket. The professor began his questioning with the butler. You found the dead man? Yes, sir. I was returning from posting a letter about 30 minutes ago, and, just as I was coming up the path of the front door, I heard a scream, dashed in, and found Mr. White here, gasping his last breath. Lose a dime? inquired Fordney, mildly. Why, I don't think so, sir, replied the butler nervously. I heard the scream from upstairs, volunteered Cannon, owner of the house, and ran in here right behind Wilkins. Did either of you leave this room before I arrived? No, replied Cannon. We stayed here until you came. Did you, Mr. Cannon, lose a dime? No? Well, remarked Fordney, it looks like collusion to me, and I can tell you Inspector Kelly won't swallow this story. What was wrong with the story? Hmm. 
This one isn't all that long. The story is pretty straightforward. So, I think I found something strange. Whether or not it's a solution, I don't know. But I think it's strange. So, when Forney initially comes into the house, the vestibule that he, you know, enters into is described as quote-unquote spotless. And that was important because on his way, he splashed through mud and rain to get to his house. That means it was really rainy outside, it was really muddy, it was really messy, and so he probably dirtied up the vestibule. But the thing is, the butler says that he came in about half an hour before him, and it's presumably it was still raining, and so why was the vestibule spotless if the butler had also come in before him? And, like, he couldn't have cleaned it because he said that he didn't leave the room until Forney got there. So, what I'm saying is that, like, why was the vestibule still spotless if the butler was supposed to have come in through the front door half an hour prior to uh, Forney getting there? So, I think that's... I think that's a solid answer. So, oh man. I don't really have any th other ideas, so I'm gonna go with that. Let's read the solution. Had the butler dashed in the front door as he said he did, there would have been foot tracks in the vestibule. Remember, the professor splashed his way through the mud and rain to the door of 27 Holden Road and found the vestibule spotless. Therefore, Wilkins was lying, and as Cannon corroborated his story, he was also necessarily involved. Ha <laughs> ha! Got it. First one this week. <laughs> I got one and a half points. That's pretty good. More than zero. <laughs> so yeah, those are some really clever ones, and I always feel smart when I get it right, but like, sometimes I feel even more clever when I get it wrong because the solution was just so random and so specific and so hard to find that like you know i kind of feel justified in getting it wrong sometimes and sometimes i feel smart because i'm like oh man dude i would have never gotten that but that's really smart <laughs> anyways i love making these episodes these puzzles are so much fun to read and take apart and kind of try to understand so anyways i'm grateful to have you guys as my listeners and i hope that you guys stick around so if you noticed by clicking on this podcast, you'll realize that this is like a sub-series kind of. This is called Minute Mysteries, and my main podcast is called Classic Mysteries. And if you've never listened to an episode of that, I would highly encourage it. Every episode, like my shtick kind of, is that I just read old classic mystery books, and I comment on them, and I make jokes about them, and it's a lot of fun. And so currently I'm in the middle of a book, it's called Bulldog Drummond, and... You know, I'm like smack in the middle of it, so if you guys wanted to start listening to that, I would suggest listening from the first or second episode so you kind of know what's going on. But regardless, it's a great book, and if you guys want something to start on that's like a finished series, then I would suggest listening to Boston Blackie. It's such a strange book, and it's a lot of fun, and it's just a wild ride. It's, it's the most crazy book that I've read. So anyways, I would suggest listening to that if you guys wanted to start listening to my main podcast, because that is also a great thing to listen to. So yeah. Just a couple things to say, if you guys have any feedback or comments or recommendations, then send them to classicmysteriespod.com. I'd appreciate everything you have to give me, and it would be fun to hear from you guys. And secondly, I just wanted to say, I hope you guys have the best day ever. I've had a great week this week, and I hope you guys have a great week this week too. This is another one of those pre-recorded episodes that I'm recording, so that I cannot have to record while I'm on vacation. If you remember last week's Minute Mysteries episode, I also mentioned that I would be pre-recording some episodes, so this is one of them. And if you're listening to this, the day that comes out, I'm currently in Europe, and I'm presumably having a fun time, so I'll let you guys know how that went when I get back. But anyways, have a great day, have a great week, and I hope that you guys are safe. Thank you guys for listening, and I'll see you guys next Thursday. Bye! Ha, ha, ha.